Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. Growing up, I went to an all-girls sleepaway camp in West Virginia called Camp Allegheny. Those summers taught me about independence, the powers of mixtapes, and most importantly, the value of the almighty care package. These days, we don't turn to tangible connections as often as we used to. Mixtapes have been replaced by sharing digital playlists on sites like Spotify, and lovingly arranged packages are now delivered in the form of digital high fives and virtual gifts on social media. But there is a website that has dedicated itself to recapturing the romance and impact of a well-crafted package. And that site is called Quarterly, and it was founded by a fellow Camp Care package fan, Zach Frechette. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by one of Zach's colleagues, Aaron Levinson, the Chief Revenue Officer of Quarterly. Quarterly is essentially a subscription gift service that delivers quarterly packages curated by really interesting people like Nina Garcia, Tim Ferriss, Pharrell, Bill Nye, Food52, and Q-Tip, as well as some of our favorite design people, the team at Creative Bug. I think Quarterly is a really fascinating way to combine the worlds of online and in-person shopping, and it really inspired us to reach out to Quarterly to talk about collaborating. So I'm so happy to have Aaron here to talk about everything that they're working on at Quarterly. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, really <laughs> excited to be here. So I always like to know people's backstories, how they got to the job they currently have. And when I was researching, talking to you, you have a pretty fascinating background, including some varied interests like baseball and Cuba and clean energy. So let's start at the beginning. How did you get into this position with Quarterly? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that all of those interesting things that I've done drive my wife crazy. <laughs> uh, I really think that uh, I'm not as stable as she would hope I was, but she is, so I can go do off, you know, go off and, and have fun with startup land. Um, I was at a startup that just wasn't really going well. Uh, it was a great idea, but poor execution. And I got a phone call from my mentor, whose name is Charlie Warner. He's on the uh, Upper East Side here in New York, and he was one of my professors at the University of Missouri. And he called me and he said, you know, what are you working on? And I told him, you know, the existing startup I was at wasn't really doing that well, but uh, I was looking. And he says, you know, you need to go work for Quarterly. And I didn't really know what it was. I went online and I saw it. And I just loved the idea of being able to engage digital fans, but do it in the real world and, and tell a story in a box. And everything you just said around um, that authentic storytelling and just the, the excitement of getting a box, it, it really reminded me of... My Aunt Rona, which is a random story, but I have to share it with you. Um, she used to work at Nabisco in Trenton, I think is where she was. And uh, she used to send my sister and I these Nabisco care packages just full of junk, just Oreos and cookies and candy and a bunch of crap. And uh, it did. Quarterly reminded me of that excitement of it coming to the door and seeing it there and ripping it open and then fighting with my sister over all the best things. 
that's I would love that care package today, even if it is still junk. Um, for people who don't aren't super familiar with quarterly yet, sort of describe how the process works for people who are just new to the whole concept. Yeah, I mean, we're really amazing and unique boxes from with limited edition and, and custom products and, and things that you can't get anywhere else. And, and really, that's from a product side and, and the things that are going in the box. We really want to make sure every box is creative and valuable and tells a story. Now, my job is to go out and find the curators and find these interesting people and these influential people. And when I'm looking at influential people, it's not just around how many Facebook fans you have or Twitter followers you have um, or Instagram likes or what have you because that's digital engagement and it's really light and fluffy. And you know, I learned the hard way. Of, of trying to do the math off of social media numbers and it just wasn't working. And, you know, I've been at this for more than a year and a half now and we've just gotten so much smarter with our business. And, you know, we've really built a platform for influencers with true fans, um, with a true community. And it's just not about the audience. It's about the quality. How do you determine that? I think that's so fascinating. As someone who, like, Design Sponge as a company has large numbers online, but that doesn't always transfer to things in real life. And we experience that with the book. And when you ask somebody to pay for something when they've been getting all of your content for free, it's a very different experience. So how do you guys go about finding that sort of true audience? Yeah, finding that true audience, there's probably about eight different boxes that we're checking. Um, you know, a year and a half ago, there were no boxes <laughs> that we were checking. We were just simply looking for interesting people and hoping that it would work. And one thing that we've been able to do now is to reach out to certain curators. And we get a lot of incoming as well. We get a lot of people who say, hey, I just saw you on Nina's blog. I think I can do this. I'm interesting. I would love to engage my fans. Um, same thing with Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss is a great source of finding interesting people around the world that want to engage their fans at home. And it's really my job to vet them and to talk and to really understand them because I don't want to work with people who don't really love their fans. I want to make sure that every box that goes out is really an expression of them. Um, we're putting together a great box. They're involved in the process. And that's one of the things with you know working with somebody like Nina as an example. She's really into this. I mean, she probably gets pitched a million things a month being on Project Runway and Marie Claire and everything else she does. And she said to me, this is the most interesting thing I have seen in a really long time and I'm excited to do it. And then I asked her why. I said, why do you want to do this? And she says, you know, I can't answer everybody's email. I can't respond to everybody's Facebook post or message or tweet, etc. And this is a way for me to send something really amazing to their homes. And then the other piece was, hey, you curate in the magazine every month with Nina's picks. Let's do it in the real world. That's how it, that's how it happens. That's a great idea. And for people who are listening who think they might have this audience and maybe wants to work with Quarterly or wants to sort of engage their audience, what are ways that you've seen the curators you work with really successfully engage those audience to turn them from numbers on Twitter into yeah. people who actually engage and buy things? Yeah, I'll give you actually a really good example. Her name's Melissa Julwan. Uh, she's in the paleo space. She's in Vermont. She sent me an email a couple of months ago and said, you know, I think I'd be really good at this. I would love to engage my fans with this. And I asked her all the same questions like why like why do you think your fans would buy this uh, what is it about you that you think this is going to work because at the end of the day we can build a great box all day long I, I no hesitation like my team at quarterly is great but if we can't sell them I don't know what we're doing I, I don't want to waste anybody's time so I said to Melissa do me a favor if we can identify a thousand of your super fans true fans in your community I'll do this deal with you so she sent out a blog. She just wrote a blog and said, hey, I've been invited to do this thing with Quarterly. Uh, if you would buy it and want to do this, 
just send them your email address, and we just want to identify you as a hand raiser. Long story short, within like four days, she had 1,100 emails, and these super fans came to the rescue, and it was really interesting. Not only did they raise their hand, but they told us what they wanted from Melissa. So now I knew I had the hand raiser. I knew products and ideas and things they wanted from her, and the fans helped us build the box. So it was just uh, – and it worked. I'll tell you. We sold 600 boxes in about a week. Um, we shut it down so we could pack and ship very quickly, and we put together a whole paleo starter kit. And her second box is around paleo and breakfast. I sort of need that box in my life. <laughs> I, I think we all need a little bit more like healthy food as I'm staring out the window looking at all this uh, carbs and pasta and stuff. restaurant right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so aside from looking for a, a true – audience with quotation marks around it, meaning people who actually engage beyond just sort of social media likes and follows. How do you guys choose the curators you work with? Are you looking for sort of a balance of people in different niches or how do you guys start that process? You know, it's it's less about the niche and more about them and their fan base. If, if they have those diehard, loyal, rabid fans with money to spend and they want to do an authentic, credible, fun box with us, I'll do the deal. Um, We've got a team in place, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to hire more account managers and more buyers to build these things out. So we're always on the hunt for new people. Mm-hmm. And how do you sort of oversee um, the growth of how you guys expand into categories that are maybe primarily women or primarily men? Like, I'm always fascinated by the curators, like someone like Nina Garcia or someone who's a makeup expert, like are primarily going to be talking to women. But do you have in your head sort of an overall quarterly customer, like who that person is? You know what? I don't. I I think as I look at all of our different curators, I think the first thing I always think about is you would probably never invite them all to dinner together, (laughs) right? Could you imagine Nina, Bill Nye, Tim Ferriss, and Q-Tip having dinner? Like, I think it'd be great. It would be amazing. It'd be amazing. Like, I would go to that dinner. I would serve at that dinner just so I could be there to watch it. But um, our platform's really built for them. It's built for their fan bases. And so when people ask me, you know, what's the fan base that works best? It's really I'm checking those boxes around that diehard loyal fan base with money to spend. Um, But the curator needs to be thoughtful and and care and really not want to mail it in because I won't do a deal with somebody that just wants to mail it in. Yeah, it's not fun for anybody. And the boxes really aren't that good. I was reading an interview with Quarterly's founder, Zach, where he said that value was an issue that he cared about a lot and that any criticism they, that Quarterly received as a company related to value was really tough to take in. And I think criticism is tough to take, period, especially when it's a sort of a passion-based project like this. But for Quarterly, what does value mean and how do you guys define that? And then more importantly, how do you ensure that the boxes deliver that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I think that for somebody like Nina Garcia, her boxes are both valuable and creative with exclusives. So Nina's first box with us was around glam grunge. And all the, bo- the all the products in the box were like dark and rich and fun. There was a bracelet from a Bobble Bar that was custom made just for Nina. Um, there was a neck piece from Adrian Landau, and just it was done really, really well. And so there's two things there. You get the the bloggers who just want to rip your box apart and tell you price by pr- you know piece by piece, price by price, and they retail valued the box at like three hundred twenty dollars. So when these women bought a hundred dollar box and got it for three twenty, the women who just wanted a haul. We check that box. They got it. Now, don't get me wrong. There's always that one woman who's like, you know, it's not really my style, all of this dark, glam, grungy stuff. And we just know we're not going to satisfy everybody. We just, it's a fact. Um, We have a money back guarantee. If you don't like it, send it back. We'll give you your money back. Try somebody new. We have a great customer service and we're very public about it. Um, But making sure that the value is there is really important. The hardest part, though, is trying to put value on something that is custom made or unique. 
And we just launched our fifth box, actually, with Pharrell Williams. And in it was a collaboration with an artist named Free Gums out of Florida. And we had this great print, and we created a backpack out of it and a pencil kit, a whole back-to-school kit that was, like, made for Pharrell from this artist. And if you were just to look at the backpack, you'd say, oh, that's a $15 backpack. I paid $50 for the box. I'm not happy. But if you're a true fan and you got one of a few that, have, that are out there in the world, hopefully you see more value in that. It's hard. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the fight we fight on the internet every day. Is uh-huh. How to get people to understand sort of the cost that goes into the work behind something. And it's obviously not a consumer's job or they don't have to understand all the work or appreciate that it that happens behind that thing coming to life. Yeah. But how do you guys get that story across? I mean, I know there are letters in the boxes, but what role does the story play in conveying the value? Yeah, I think that the storytelling is huge. Um, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy in his first box, the best video ever, by the way, where he just sits down in his living room in Studio City and just rips through the box, one take on an iPhone, done in three minutes. And he talked about how he curated and why he chose it. And the thing was, is that in his first box, he had a sundial kit. And if you didn't hear the story of why there was a why there was a paper plate, some chalk, and a straw, you would think, "Oh my god, I got ripped off!" Like Thanks, Bill, Bill is sending me a bunch <laughs> of crap, which is not the case because in the video, Bill talks about how his father was a prisoner of war, and how sundials really became an important part of his day and his survival, and counting the days down. And so all of a sudden, that paper plate, that straw, and that piece of chalk became way more meaningful and interesting. So um, that's just one example of how the storytelling – I think the storytelling needs to be done on video. Uh, The letters in the box are okay, but you can't really share the letter. I know it's very old school to write a letter and share something with somebody, but I like the idea of Tim Ferriss doing a 26-minute video sitting in his underwear with a teepee in the back of his living room telling a story about why he chose what he chose. Sounds like Tim Ferriss. It does. (laughs) We love Tim. Tim's great. But you know what I mean. It's just the the storytelling really has to be there, and it has to be thoughtful and authentic, and I just think it comes off better um, in video. Even somebody like Nina Garcia, I've been, and I'm still trying, and I'm not quitting. I'm actually headed there later today. Um, I want to get her to do Google Glass. And she has a you know a partnership with Google Glass for Fashion Week. I wanted to put them on and record an unboxing and tell everybody why she chose what she chose. That would be. I hope you make that happen. I'm working on it. That would be fascinating. I'm working on it. It's my job. <laughs> um, I want to hear more about what the day a day in the life of your job is. But we're going to take a very quick break, and when we get back, that's the first thing that we're going to talk about. So stay tuned. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org, the ICC with locations in New York and California, 
provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Hey, and welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're talking about curation, gifts, and design with Aaron Levinson, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Quarterly. So before the break, we were talking about how sort of Quarterly came about and how you started working there, but I'm curious to know, do you have an average day in the life of your job? And if so, what does that look like these days? The average day at Quarterly, there's no such thing. I think that I'm in the revenue position I am because I get to go out and meet amazing people all over the country. Um, not only do I get exposed to amazing new products, but I also get access to just really interesting people with unique followings. And I, uh, I always tell my founder, Zach, that you know if I'm in the office for more than a week, sit, things aren't going well. I said, you really don't want to see me. Um, so an average day is really just it's working with the existing curators we have to make sure that they're happy, that the process is going well, that the boxers are getting built, um, the creativity and the value are there. And then the other side of the business is really growing and finding new curators and, and the vetting process, which um, it's taking longer today than it did a year ago, but it's only because we're just trying to be smarter about our business and really work with curators that we think will, A, build a great box for their fans and have that value that we talked about earlier, uh, but make sure that they can sell them as well. Absolutely. So what are some of the most interesting or weird or unexpected things that you've learned about people's buying habits working at Quarterly? Buying habits at quarterly, it's, it's interesting. You know, we know that if somebody subscribes and they stay with us for three, four times, we're doing a good job, right? It's a subscription business, but you can kill it out whenever you want. And if somebody gets one box and they're done, we know that it was either a gift or they didn't like it. And if they didn't like it, they'll tell us. And we'll ask them questions. We have surveys, and we provide all the feedback back to the curators um, and to our team, so we can just get better at what we do. But um, it's just really interesting to know that you know our average subscribers with us for six boxes. That's a year and a That's half. That's huge. That's a yeah. long time. Um, and in the instance of somebody like Nina or Tim at a hundred dollars, that's you know that's a four to six hundred dollar commitment from somebody. Mm-hmm. And as long as you continue to deliver, they'll stay with you. That's really impressive. I think what's always sort of intrigued me about Quarterly was the way that you guys sort of encapsulate all the things that people love about online shopping, which is sort of this like one click situation. It just comes to you, you sit and stay in your house, but there's the curation aspect and the physical aspect of this sort of care package essentially that makes it feel as if someone has gone to a retail store, gathered things they loved. And it's this very interesting sort of hybrid of those two experiences. And I feel personally like I understand a price point, like a hundred dollar box or a $50 box. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand both of those price points as being very fair and accurate, but do you guys get a lot of pushback on the price points or people asking for like $20 boxes and things like that? You know, we don't get a lot of pushback on the price point. Uh, earlier on, we used to do $25 boxes. And the math behind a $25 box, we just couldn't pull it off. We couldn't create a great box for no money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just got rid of all the $25 boxes. We're in that $50 space now. We're doing a lot more $100 boxes now. Um, and Tim Ferriss is actually working on a $5,000 holiday box. It's a one-off holiday haul. Um, and I was just having a conversation before I came in today talking to Devin, who's our director of merchandising. Um, we actually stole him away from fab.com. So it was kind of cool. I, I love the guy. Uh, but anyways, we were kind of talking about the products that go in the box and what it could look like. And, you know, it's funny, Devin almost doesn't want to tell me what's going in the box because he thinks I'm going to leak it. So I just know that that box is going to be just amazing and way, way worth the five grand, um, if not more. So it's, I mean, our goal is to always, you know, 
just make sure that we're providing the value and that it's more than the $5,000. But um, the fan reaction so far, it's pretty crazy. I, I don't know how many we're going to sell yet because we haven't turned the page on live. But when yeah. we do, I, I'm just kind of holding my breath. I'm excited. I'm very. Is that something you guys see yourself going into, a sort of limited edition, super high-end things? It was actually Tim's idea. You know, Tim's been doing, Tim's on box number eight with us. So he's been with us for two years and his price points at the hundred dollars and he does very well with us. But he said to us, you know, why not try to do something just bigger and buzzworthy and fun and deliver an amazing box? Um, And if we sell 10 or we sell a thousand, it's still some great learning. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's the fun part of being at a startup is that we can do this stuff. Tim can say, let's do this. And we can say, okay, and we're going to do it tomorrow. Uh, I always like to compare startups to being just a speedboat uh, versus the big ship that I left a long time ago. But the, the speedboats are a lot of fun. So what's coming next for you guys? What are the big projects you have coming up? And where do you guys see quarterly going like in the next five years? Scaling this business. I think the, the one thing that keeps me up at night is, is figuring out how to do that. How do you build a great box? How do you keep your fans? How do you keep everybody happy, but build a profitable box at the same time that's creative and fun and unique and all those things we talked about earlier? Um, and that's really just a, a matter of scale, I think. I think that when we're, you know, we can go and have that conversation with a brand or an artist to, to collaborate on something and we need 5,000 of that, um, we just need to be able to speak back to them and tell them why they should do this with us. What is the value proposition back to them? What is the marketing value, the PR value? How many, how many other sales could we drive to them? Um, and us just not being a buyer mentality. Mm-hmm. I think if we just have a credit card and we're not even buying things and using subscriber money to do it, that's, that's not scalable. And, and those are the things we need to work on. So uh, adding new curators is, is where we need to go. I think the other thing that I'd like to see us do is go international with this. Uh, we ship all over the world right now. We're doing a good chunk of our business, you know, in Canada and Australia and UK and all over the place. But, um, there's no reason why we can't launch in, in Seoul or Tokyo or somewhere like that and bring this there. Absolutely. Do you guys see yourself expanding the concept of the box at all to include like experiences or things that happen in real life versus like actual pre-made objects? Give me an example. What, what do you think? Uh, if you were, say, to give somebody a pass to watch an online, say it's Pharrell box. Let's mm-hmm. say Pharrell has a special video that's only being released to quarterly subscribers. Do they get access to something like that or an event or a ticket to something that's happening in a place they can go to? Yeah, no, the, the digital content thing is, is really interesting and it's easy to do, um, yeah. whether it's online with a code or to USB or a promo code, what have you. Um, that stuff all makes a lot of sense. And, and it is. It's fun. It's unique. It's funny. I'm starting to really look into the YouTube space mm. and the YouTube influencers. Everybody is. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and the best part of it is that the YouTube influencers are looking for things like this where they can engage their fans and make some money and not have Google take half of their ad revenue. And so when I go and have that conversation, uh, they just really like the idea of doing something cool, fun, and unique. But um, you know, those those digital experiences are, are cool and, and can be done and are being done already. Ready. I think the other thing is, you know, you talked about events. Rosario Dawson is one of our curators, and she's putting together um, like a premiere to her, you know, re- upcoming movie with Chris Rock, and like you can win tickets to the premiere and hang with her. Yeah, like, that's the sort of stuff I'd I'm love like, to hang I want to I, I I buy hang with a box Pharrell. that has something like that. <laughs> that's what, yeah. And Pharrell is actually from Virginia Beach, where I'm from, nice. and we occasionally ride past his house. I don't think he lives there anymore, but I would like to have a, a little moment with Pharrell and check out his new box. Nice. Um, 
So I want to talk a little bit about sort of surprises that have happened while you're working there, because I'm always interested to see how retail predicts what's happening next with design, whether it's sort of home goods, fashion goods, whatever it is. Um, What have you guys sort of discovered that maybe surprised you about the types of products that would go over well with people that maybe you thought maybe were taking a chance, including in a box? Were there any things that seemed like a total shocker that ended up being a huge hit? You know, when when I think about that, I, I think about Tim Ferriss. It might have been box number three where he had a, a Soma water filter in there. And, you know, for a guy like Tim, uh, he's he's really interested in a lot of things and he's very passionate about a lot of things. And, and the boxes that he built uh, are just super creative and out there and, and great. I mean, it had blue bottle coffee in it and it had a Soma water filter in it. And we always... We build the box, we send it out, and then basically we can sit and watch social media and see how it plays out. And you know you hit it out of the park when the fans are like, oh my god, it's like you were in my head and you made this for me. Like we see that all the time. Um, And I think that's probably the most rewarding part of the job too is seeing people like your boxes and telling their friends about it. Yeah. What percentage, or do you even know this offhand, what percentage of boxes are sort of given as gifts versus people buying for themselves? You know, I don't know. Um, we should know that, but we don't know that. I know that Q4 in the holiday season is very big for us, so I'm assuming it's just naturally happening there. Um, I think the other thing is there's a lot of self-giving. I, I, <laughs> I, it, it's kind of interesting. It seems to be more like Nina Garcia fans where they're like, it's, and, and I see this a lot, it's like Christmas in March. It's like Hanukkah in October. And, and people just really like to you know indulge and, and get themselves something nice. And then when they get it, it, they just go on social media and share it. And, and the best part is that Nina will go online and interact back with them. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of digital to real world and back to digital. Yeah. I think there's something really special here that's like, that's happening with quarterly that could be a chance for somebody to give someone a gift that's like different all the time and not just sort of a cheese of the month type situation, but something that's really interesting and special. And um, I'm excited to see how that could sort of change and include more like handmade or small scaled makers, things like that. And that's definitely happening in boxes already. But that's an aspect I'm excited to see expand into our community of sort of the smaller scale independent makers. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for us, we're always looking for new products and people to work with. Um, You know, we don't want to just build boxes that have just mainstream stuff in them. We want to work with the the moms and dads out there that are just making cool shit all the time, um, and whether it's here in the U.S. or international. So we're we're always in market for that, and you know a lot of samples show up at the office, and we do we we put great things in the boxes all the time. I'm excited to see how that affects the makers as sort of their future. Like all the people who are the individuals in the box, like those people that are being exposed to, whether it's like 500 people or 10,000 people who buy kits, like Mm -hmm. how does that change their sales going forward? I'm very curious to see how that happens because I think you guys are offering this very unique way to have somebody be introduced to a brand for the first time. And it's like if, you know, obviously Pharrell could probably get people to buy anything, but if it's a blogger or somebody else they follow online that they like and it's being delivered with this letter and this sort of, very personal recommendation for a product. I feel like that's a very powerful endorsement versus just a blog post about it. Yeah, no, it is. And and I think that that's actually part of my job is as I'm working with curators is making sure that they're open to, I don't want to say endorse because endorse just seems to have like a weird yucky word. It's like a weird feeling, but just to let somebody know like, Hey, I really liked your product and, and to tweet about it or put it on Instagram or what have you. Um, those are things that I ask for when I'm doing the deals is their willingness to, to tell a brand, Hey, I love your product. Thank you so much. And just have it be organic and we're not writing a check for $50,000 to make it happen. Um, and it happens all the time. I'll, I'll tell you really quickly with um, Lumosity, the Brain Teaser app was in Pharrell's first box. And it wasn't – it was basically – it was just Pharrell saying, I love Lumosity. Go out and get some cards and let's get them for the fans. <clears throat> 
excuse me, and the next thing I see, there's a tweet from like somebody at Lumosity saying, oh my god, I can't believe we're in Pharrell's first box, thank you so much. And Pharrell retweeted and was like, hey, I like your product. It was organic. It was just natural. It yeah. wasn't this cheesy endorsement paid thing. I think that's nice. I'm excited to see where it goes. So before we leave, I have some very quick rapid fire questions for you that have nothing to do with anything we've just been talking about. So Ooh, exciting. I love <laughs> stuff like out. this. All right, let's do, All right. let's do it. First question. What is the very first website you load every morning? It's called Spree, and it shows me how many sales we've done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> so you start work right away. I do. Welcome to our club. I do. I do. Uh, who is someone that you look up to when times are tough? Wow, that's a really hard question. I uh, I lost my mother like nine years ago, so she was she was my lady. But uh, I guess my wife, you know, she listens to me and she understands me. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, do you listen to music while you work? And if so, what's on your speakers right now? That's such a great question. I'm a huge Neil Diamond fan. I listen to Neil <laughs> all the time. He has that's a new album out, and like I can listen to Hot August Nights all day long. I can't beat that, so we're just going to go to the next question. <laughs> uh, what is a brand that you can't get enough of that you constantly buy and support? Rawlings. I'm a, I'm a baseball player. I'm a 39-year-old baseball player, and I'm a catcher, and uh, I just love Rawlings. It's American, and it just smells good. <laughs> What's an app or gadget that you can't live without? Shazam. Good one. I, I just... Uh, Oldie bit of goodie. Yeah. Last question. What is a trend, a style, a designer, or a brand that you hope makes it big this year? Oh my god! It can be more baseball related content. More baseball related <laughs> content. What's the question again? What sort of a brand or a trend that you hope happens this big this year? Oh, in terms of trend, I like um, I like like the fitness wearable stuff. Ah, Fitbits. Yeah, yeah like Fitbits and Jawbones and all this stuff. I'm uh, I'm wearing a Jawbone now, and I just I love it. It just reminds me to get up and go do something. It's such. I feel like it's such an LA answer to give. I feel like <laughs> I, I don't wear those because they remind me of how little that I move. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're getting out there, and you feel like that's that's what your job is all about: is getting out there and meeting people. It is. Maybe the jawbone measures my salesmanship. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That should be how you track your salespeople like, quarterly. Um, thanks so much for being here, and I'm so excited to see what you guys are doing. And I think it's a wonderful trend in retail to see people not only spending more time on storytelling, but to really support people and to give regular consumers a chance to be exposed to products they maybe wouldn't have or maybe give them a second chance because somebody that they trust and respect is sort of introducing it to them. So I'm really into what you guys are doing. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. So um, how can people find you on the internet? They can find us, find me or Quarterly? Uh, both. Oh, well, they can find us at quarterly.co.co um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll talk to you there. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for being here and thanks everybody for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.